0: Good morning, everybody. It is really good to be with you all and to be with you on a quest. We are on a quest in pursuit of a quality of life that God has actually invited us to pursue, a quality of life that is so wonderful that it's characterized by this great word called joy. God wants us to be a people who wake up every day with a spark in our eye, with a passion in our hearts, with an enthusiasm for life. I mean, who doesn't want joy? And this series is called The Official Guide to the Joy-Filled Life. And I want to remind you that it's The Official Guide, not because I know much, I don't know nothing, but I know I've got the Bible And in God's word, he, the maker of humanity, has provided instructions on how to do the human life well. And the book of Philippians has a whole bunch on joy. But the last chapter, the fourth chapter, that is where we get our official guide. And that's what this series is a study of. Remember last week we looked at Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5? And we learned that foundational principle of joy that we are to rejoice in what? the Lord. Not rejoice in your house, not rejoice in your vacation, not rejoice in your perfect children. Not that it's a bad thing to enjoy those things, but the joy that God promises that will go through any circumstance is a joy in him. That our relationship with God becomes the greatest joy in our lives. The realization that we can know God. He can be our friend, our Father. That he can be our companion through the day, guide us, and empower us, and love on us. Those who press into that relational connection with the maker of the universe discover the point of life, and they find the joy that is just absolutely amazing. Well, again, last week we were looking at Philippians 4, verses 1. 4 and 5. This week we're looking at verses 6 and 7. So if you didn't bring a Bible, I would encourage you to grab the Pew Bible. You'll find this passage on page 1181. 1181. And we turn to verses 6 and 7, which if you're a Bible reader, you may have come across these verses before and treasured these verses before. They read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, well, that's a little strange. We didn't expect that. Paul has suddenly, what seems, shifted topics. We were talking about joy, and now we're talking about anxiety? Don't be anxious about anything. Why the switch? Well, there's a connection. Maybe you see it. What's the connection? If you've got anxiety, are you going to have joy? No. Joy and anxiety never cohabitate in the same soul. If you are stressed, if your stomach is in knots with worry and Fear and dread, and you try to have joy in Christ, it just won't work. And so, if you want joy, the Lord knows, and He so instructed us in this official guide. He said, "We got to deal with anxiety. We got to get the fear out. We 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 need to get your heart to a joy, the joy of God that transcends all understanding, folks. Uh, the joy." of the Lord is our goal. And if we're going to get it, we've got to deal with fear. Now, God knows that anxiety is a major part of life. Uh, one of the ways that it's clear he knows that it's such a major part of our lives is the amount of time Scripture instructs us not to have fear. Th- that passage we read, that's, that's a command. Do not be anxious about anything. And that's not the first or the only time that God instructs us not to have fear. Did you know that of all the commands found in Scripture, the most frequently stated command from God is the do not fear command? Why does God say that more than he says any other command? Is because he knows our bent. He knows that we are a people who tend to get freaked out. And so because of our bent towards anxiety... God says, I'm going to tell you once, I'm going to tell you twice, I'm going to keep on telling you. Do not be afraid about anything. The most popular, common command in all of Scripture bears witness to what a major deal this problem is for us. I'd ask for a hand raise of how many of you deal with anxiety, but it'd be a pointless because we all do. I'll tell you something else that's interesting that points to the prevalence of anxiety we we gained some information from amazon of all, all companies as you know amazon provides ebooks over a billion ebooks and they provide an app by which on these electronic books you can highlight i know this only from being told so i've never done it myself i'm not very technically savvy well they did something interesting they did a study of what is the most frequently highlighted section of any of the books, over a billion books that they offer. You know what they discovered? They discovered the most highlighted section of any book, first of all, is the Bible, and the most highlighted verse of the Bible is Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Of any piece of literature in the world, this passage we're studying is the most beloved by the people of God. And and why? Because we're anxious. You know, anxiety is such a major deal that people say, I need a verse, like Philippians four, six and seven. I'm I'm freaking out, Lord. This is a scary world we live in. And it's true, it is, isn't it? There are so many fears. There's the fear of our health, you know, our bodies so easily can Get disease. You know, we see frequency of disease by people we know and love and we say, is it going to come to my spouse? Is it going to come to my kids? Is it going to come to me? We look at the danger of injury or our bodies breaking down and that fear is very real. And then there's the fear of our careers. You know, so far it's been okay, but what if my company does a downturn and I'm laid off? What if they discover I really don't know what I'm doing and I start to fail What if I lose my job? How will we make it financially if I can't find a job? That's terrifying. And then there's the fears of relationships, where we are anxious about our marriage falling apart. My husband, my wife, doesn't seem to love me like they once did. What if they leave me? What if this marriage falls apart? Or our kids, what if my kids are an absolute disaster? What if they walk away from the Lord and from me and just start living? Life is a scary place. Planet Earth is a terrifying place to live. There's good reason to be anxious, except in the midst of that, God says, do not fear. The Lord doesn't want us to be a people characterized by fear. He says instead, I want you to be fearless. Isn't that amazing? Be anxious about how much things? Absolutely nothing. God invites us. There we go. God invites us Children, do not try this at home. Uh, I am a trained professional. God invites us to a life of fearlessness. He says, though your life is precarious and there are so many dangers around, God says, if you are a Christian, I've got you. Now, I just want to point out, I have a professional climbing harness on, and I have a rope here that's a safety line, And I've got a belayer, you know, a belayer in climbing terminology is the person managing the rope to make sure the climber is safe. And uh, my belayer is up there. I can't see them, but I trust that they're there. (laughs) You know, we we can't see God, but we trust that he's got us, don't we? And the reason people in an anxiety-filled world can have fearlessness is because God says, I've got you. I've got you. God wants us to enter into, what does the passage say? The peace of God which transcends all understanding. In the Bible, it's called shalom. That's the peace of God. That's the Hebrew word. In fact, this is such a big part of the Christian life that uh, the Jews back then and today, when they greet each other, what word do they use? Shalom. May the peace, may this amazing peace characterize your life. The Apostle Paul, in every epistle he writes, and he wrote 14 of them, he begins the epistle by saying, grace and peace be yours. This life of fearlessness is not just a side category of minor interest to the Christian. It is to be at the very core of the kind of life we live. It is central to the Christian life to be a shalom person in the midst of an anxiety-filled world. Now, what is the reason why it is so difficult to find this? You say, if, if God has got you, if you're connected to the Lord, what are you worried about? Well, here's the problem. There's like two things that we see. One is the rope and the other is the ladder. Yeah, I know God's got me, but it's a very scary, scary world. Yes, it is a very scary, scary world. And I'm good, don't worry. (laughs) You know, so many of you, it was interesting, as, as I looked into your eyes, you were nervous for me. You know, some of you were covering your eyes, saying, I can't even look at you, you know. And I said, but wait a minute, you see the rope. I know, but I'm still freaking out. And that's how we are spiritually. We say, Lord... I know you've got me, theoretically, I know that, but I'm still freaking out. Why is that? That is because even though we know the Lord has got us, that belief is not deep enough in our soul to change the way we think and feel. You can say, oh, I'm in good hands, the Lord has taken care of me, but is it changing the way you feel? Is it chasing the anxiety away? And sometimes we say, no, it's not. Why is that? It's a surface belief. It's not a core belief. And the goal to really find the peace that surpasses all understanding is for this belief in God's commitment to our well being to so deeply infiltrate our lives that we see the world through this truth, that we know that rope is there, that He's got us so much that we just don't worry about it. We're okay. Some of you say, What do you mean you're okay? Christians are not okay. I know Christians who have gotten cancer. I know Christians who have died of cancer. Yeah, it's true that just because God's got us does not mean we will be spared the hardships of this life. The truth is, the Lord said, In this broken, fallen world, you will have trouble. You're going to have hard times. But God says, None of them will come your way unless I, in my perfect sovereignty, love for you and wisdom, allow it to be so. You're not the victim just of random violence. God says, I'm protecting you. And sometimes in my infinite knowledge, I got to let all my kids deal with some stuff, but it'll be my choice. And not only that, you know, if I were to have fallen, thankfully I didn't, but if I were to have fallen, I would have fallen, but I would have only fallen about three feet and then the rope would have caught me. And similarly, God says, when you experience trouble, God says, I will limit how big the trouble is in your life, so that it's enough or that you've got enough with me to endure it. I will never let you face anything that's too much for you. Isn't that great? And God says, when you do go through it, I'll be right by your side holding your hand, enabling you to handle what I allow to come into your life. And you say, yeah, but some people, it is more than they can handle. They die. Is death the end for the Christian? No. It's just a transition into glory, life, and paradise. And so as a result, we, with God, and only with God, can be fearless. But that belief that God is with us has got to go deep. It can't be a surface belief. It has to be a core belief. And it begs the question, how do we get it deeper in our heart? And that's where this passage can help us. It says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, here's what you do. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The key is prayer. And and you say, why prayer? How is prayer? I should clarify those two terms, prayer and petition. Prayer is a general, broader sense of conversation with God. Petition is a more specific subset of prayer where we ask God to help us in our specific problems. And you say, why is it that this prayer is going to make such a big difference uh, in my life? There's something about talking with God about your problem and hearing him say, I gotcha, don't worry, that puts the heart at ease. When I I converse with the Lord about it, you know, Lord, my stomach is a nut. See, we got to talk, we got to talk, we got to talk. And as he and I talk about it, and as I'm reminded of the promises of Scripture that God has got me, and as by His Spirit I hear Him speak to my heart, Jeff, stop it. You're in my hand. You're my son. I'm your Abba, Father. Relax. That conversation brings me peace. You know, it's interesting. Uh, rock climbers have a conversation with their belayer. Did you know that? I learned that the last few summers. My daughter Janae and I have been going to a camp, a daddy-daughter camp in the upper peninsula of Michigan. I got a picture here of Janae and I with our rock climbing gear. This camp has what they call a climbing tower. Uh, here's a picture looking down the tower. It's a little disorienting, but it's, it's 80 feet in the air. And as you look down, they have what they call a, vertic- a vertical playpen. And uh, these ropes, you know, go from the climber all the way up to a pulley and down to, in this platform, is where the belayer sits. And so one of the things that's a little disorienting is when you start to climb, the belayer is to your back. You can't see the one in whom your life is in their hands. And he, he, since you can't see him, you've got to talk to him. And they've got a conversation laid out. Uh, what you do as a climber, you know, um, I usually say it like this, on belay, that's, that's fear in my voice when I say it that way. I should tell you belay means to be tied in, to be secure, to be held fast. Isn't that great? And so when I say "on belay, in other words, am I secure? Do you got me, is really what I'm asking. And when I say, on belay, the belayer responds, belay on! And they say it like that, that loud and that passionate. And I think their passion is in part to show their enthusiasm and passion or focus on their job, and in part to give you, the climber, peace. And then you say, climbing, and they say, climb on! And man, that makes a difference. I walk up to the ropes, and I don't know if my belayer is taking a nap or chasing a butterfly or what he's doing, you know. But I engage in conversation with him with these preset commands. And when I hear him say, I've got you, Jeff, it gives me the courage to climb. And spiritually, when we come to the Lord with prayer and petition, that's what happens. We say, God, I've got to talk to you about this. And as we talk to him, and he conveys through his word and through his spirit speaking to us, I've got you, child, I've got you. We say, all right, I'm going to climb. Well, there's one more observation I'd like to make from the text. And that is this word, thanksgiving. We're, in every situation, we're supposed to come to God in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. That's weird. Didn't expect that. Is that important? Yeah. I believe that's really important. Our prayer, our conversation with God, is to be characterized by our request for his help, but also our thanks for his previous goodness in our lives. For us to say, Lord, you know, there have been countless times, and I think of a few of them, you know, where you have shown yourself faithful in my life when you helped me in my time of need. And I want to pause in this moment of anxiety to thank you for your past faithfulness. Why? Why? Because our track record, or I should say his track record, of faithfulness in our lives will give us increased trust and peace that he's got us. Where we say, Lord, you know, I'm not a rookie to this thing called life. There were many times where I was scared to death, and you came through. You know, the scary thing is we tend to forget about them. We can see God help us through an unbelievable trial, and two years later we face another trial, and we're like, oh! God, you know, forgetting what we learned about him. And so God instructs us, come to me with thanksgiving. Be a person who reflects and remembers how I've been there for you, and thank me for it, because I will be blessed by your thanks, and you will be blessed by that recollection. And the more we live with the Lord, and the more we experience his faithfulness, and the more we be my, are mindful of his past faithfulness, the more confidence we'll have. An example would be my daughter Janae with this climbing wall uh, tower. The first year, three years ago, uh, Janae got all in her harness and got all hooked up and did the belay on, on belay, you know, the whole bit. And uh, she goes, Nope, won't do it. You know, she looked up and she was scared to death. And even though in theory she was safe, that truth wasn't deep enough in her heart to take away the fear and give her the courage to do it. That first year the, the belayer said, Janae, just sit down on the rope and see that I've got you. And she's like, Yeah, you do. That's nice. Take me out of here. I'm done, you know? <laughs> The second year, she climbed up a little bit, fell, and sure enough the belayer had her, and she was safe. This year, my little girl climbed 80 feet to the very top of the vertical playground. I was just so proud of her. Why the progression? Because through experience and through learning from experience that the Lord has us, we grow in our confidence, don't we? And so the more we walk with the Lord, the more fearless we should be. Got a little uh, Thanksgiving exercise I'd like to challenge you to to do. You know, one of our priorities as a church is to pursue Him daily, to meet with God in prayer and Bible study. And so this is something you can do during your daily time with God, all right? A Thanksgiving exercise. On a piece of paper, write down all the decades of your life and think about it and thank God for one way in each decade that He was faithful and blessed you. Now, for some of you who are eight years old, you'll be like, I only got one decade. Yeah, it'll, be a, it'll be a short assignment, but think of one way that God has been faithful in your life. Or if you're a teenager, you're like, I only got two. Think of two ways, in each, one in each decade. And for me, you know, my 20s, and then my 30s, and my 40s. How has God been faithful in each of those decades? And By that exercise, it's pushing us to be a people who continually are mindful of the goodness of God on display in our own personal history. And mindfulness of that will give us courage and fearlessness knowing that he is the same today as he always was, and you are in good hands. So how do you drill this belief that God's gotten me deep into your heart? You talk with him about it. And you hear him reassure you, I've got you. You you remember all of the ways he has proven his faithfulness. And as you do that, what happens? The peace of God, the shalom of God, which transcends all understanding. I mean, this is amazing. This is not, oh yeah, peace, I get it. No, this is a supernatural God dynamic characterizing the children of the Lord. What will that be? peace of God do? It will guard. That's a military term, guard. That term means that God will, like a century posted guard, he will fight off the enemy's attack. What are the things you got to guard against? He'll guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Our minds, our thought life, is under attack. We can enter a thought life of a downward downward anxiety-ridden thought pattern, can't we? And God says, I have a way to guard against that. Lean in to me in prayer with thanksgiving and the peace of God will guard that little, push away that anxiety-ridden thought pattern. And then it says it guards not only your mind, but your heart, those emotions. The Lord can... Pat them away when we turn to him and putting this verse into practice. You know, when Janae uh, finished climbing up to the very top of that tower and came back down, I started uh, tormenting the, uh, the belayer a little bit. I'm like, did you see what my daughter did? Huh? Not bad, huh? I go, how about you? Could you do that? And he's like, yes, I could do that. And I go, oh yeah? Let me see you. All the way to the top. And he's like, I am here to work and serve you, not to have fun. And I'm like, you're scared? You're scared! I know you are! And you know, we were having a little fun. And he's like, all right, fine, I'll do it. And I'm like, all right! And he put on a harness, and he called one of his buddies. Hey, Tim, would you belay for me? i got to show this guy I can do it. And he's like, sure, Tim, his friend, who he knows and trusts, grabbed the ropes. And this dude, man... Buff, strong, young, experienced. He went, woo And he started climbing like I have never seen anyone climb in my life. He scampered up this vertical playpen. It was unbelievable. At, at times, he'd grab a bar by one hand and swing and grab another with a smile across his face. At one point, he jumped through the air 80 feet in the air, he's flying from one piece to another and grabs onto it. No fear, pure joy. I mean, he made it in a matter of seconds to the top. And, and I looked at him and I go, I may, I may never, never, I will never climb like that. <laughs> but I want to live like that. And I, I want you to live like that. More importantly, God wants you to live like that for us each to grow in our connection to him, our our confidence in the rope to our heavenly belayer, and for us to get to a point where we're like, I used to be the most fearful person. I laid awake nights just in wrecked in anxiety, but no more. I've grown. I've learned that he's got me, and as a result, I'm coming to a place where I can boldly go into the future knowing that I'm in good hands. And folks, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to love life, to have a joy, and it just won't come until we gain victory in Him over anxiety. And I pray that as we face life, the Lord will say, or I should say, we will say to the Lord, Lord, uh, I want to face life well. Uh, On belay? And God will say, belay on! I gotcha! And we'll say, Lord, climbing? And I'll say, Climb on! And I pray we will be a people who boldly live our lives with a joy on our face, smile on our face, joy in our heart, knowing the Lord has got me. Let's pray together. Lord, we love this passage, and we don't want it just to be a passage that we memorize. We want it to be a passage that we live Help us to live out Philippians 4, 6, and 7. God, I pray for those who are anxious. I guess that's all of us. We all deal with this. God, I pray that your spirit would come and lead them to put into practice these principles. God, would they press into your presence and look you in the eye and cry out about what they're anxious about. I pray that they would hear you respond, please, by your spirit and by your word. Reassure them that they are in your hands. And then, God, give them thanksgiving. Bring to mind countless ways that you have shown yourself to be good and faithful and loving and devoted. Let let each of their minds be filled with memories of your faithfulness. And God, to the anxious hearts, would you give them the peace that surpasses all understanding? Would you bless them in the days ahead with a growth in courage, a growth in fearlessness? And would you make us a people who increasingly live that way and find the joy in Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.